You're listening to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show, a podcast that discusses the intricacies of real estate investing with your host, Marcus E. Maloney. Marcus is a real estate investor best known for being the equity king. He's been awarded that moniker because he and his team find amazing real estate deals. He will be talking with investors who have done some transformational things in the real estate industry. They'll discuss their process, their strategies, and how their investments transform their lives and the communities they invest in. We welcome you to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. The We Love Equity Show is brought to you by Azria, widely recognized as an outstanding resource for real estate investors with exceptional education, networking, and support, along with profit-enhancing benefits and all aspects of real estate investing. Visit Azria at www.azria.org. That's visit Azria at www.azreia.org. I'm just trying to make sure that I answer whatever questions that you guys have when it, as it pertains to real estate investing and wholesaling. Again, I'm Marcus Maloney. I've been doing real estate investing for over a decade now and just been looking to help, you know, make sure people get started off in the right track, right? There's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of information that is not fully vetted and fully um, fully truthful. So just want to share that. So got Instagram going here, YouTube live going. So I just want to jump right in, man, and start answering these questions. Again, I've been doing, for the past couple of years, been doing 15-minute free consultations. And I have a list of a number of frequently asked questions that I get asked quite often and quite a bit. So I'm just going to jump in. I got some of these documented. I'm just going to be answering these questions. If you got questions um, and you want them answered in the chat and you're looking to get started in real estate, and you don't know exactly how to get started. One thing I do want to tell you is that you don't have to have a real estate license. Um, you don't have to have a lot of money. Only thing you need to have is the education and you need to take action. Those are the two main things that I say that you need to have education and action. And then another one that I will add is you need to make sure you network and grab the right relationships. That way, when you're doing it, you have somebody to lean on and talk to, right? So I just wanted to share with you all just some free information. Again, no upsell, no pitch, nothing like that here. Just want to answer these questions. So let's jump right in. Got to get back to my spot. Where was I at? So we finished off on right around the 70th question. So let's just start there. All right. So when working with the realtor, who brings the buyer? How does the agent get paid, right? So when you're working with the realtor and you have the property under contract, and a lot of people have this misperception that realtors don't want to work with wholesalers. That is completely false. It used to be that way, but it's not that way any longer because realtors see the value that wholesalers bring to the real estate industry. They bring fix and flippers deals. And as a quality realtor, and I'm also a realtor in two different mark in two different states, you understand that wholesaler specific um, responsibility is to find deeply discounted properties that they can bring to the marketplace for fix and flippers, landlords commercial investors, uh, realtors, right? So 
a smart realtor will bring a buyer to the tape. And basically what you would do is have that realtor's list on your buyer's list, basically. And you'll just, that realtor reach out to you and say, hey, you know what? I think I got somebody that may be interested in this deal. First thing you want to do, you want to disclose to that realtor and let them know that, hey, this deal, the price that I marketed was, um, is net to the seller. So if I put the property out there price for $300,000, we're expecting net to the seller $300,000. And you have to clarify that with the realtor because the realtor knows that they get commission, they get fees and everything like that. So in order for that realtor to get their commission, then you just tell them to add their fee on top. So we're net to the seller at $300,000. Their buyer is interested in it. Then they will inform their buyer, hey, Mr. Buyer, this is $300,000 net to the seller, but I need to get my commission. My commission is going to be you know, 1% of the transaction, 2% of the transaction, whatever. And they will write that into the agreement with their, their buyer. Okay? That way you're out of it. You know $300,000 net to the seller. Whatever goes on on the back end between the realtor and the buyer, that's between them, okay? When doing a JV deal and I'm bringing a buyer, how do I get paid? Um, if you're bringing a buyer, so let's clarify what a JV deal is. If there's another person out there like me that's working with the seller, got the seller locked up, got the property locked up at $300,000. He can't find a buyer or is willing to work with you to, to bring a buyer not not as a realtor, right? Then you'll say, okay, we can joint venture this, this deal. So you will sign a document saying that you guys are joint venture and partnering, you agree to the terms. Let's just say, if I say, okay, if we joint venture this deal, I get 50% of the assignment fee. Let's just say the assignment fee is $10,000. And I bring a buyer, the other wholesaler would get $5,000 and I'll get $5,000 for bringing a buyer, okay? Very simple, very clean, but you gotta have that joint venture contract and agreement signed between you and the other wholesaler, all right? How do I stop my buyer from talking with my seller during the showing? So what can happen is when you have this deal and you may have, and we went through this quite a bit and you have, the seller at the property. Sometimes your buyers will want to try and get information out of the seller, right? That's why it's always good for you to have somebody from your team or yourself there to basically kind of be that hedge between the buyers and your seller because you're the intermediary in between. So what you want to do is you want to prep your buyer and your seller before the showing. Hey, Mr. Uh, seller, I have quite a few people that's going to be coming today, take a look at the house. They work directly with me and I just have them looking at a few things so I can get some numbers around what we need to do with the property, right? So if you have any questions about the process, trust me, I'll answer those questions for you afterwards. But during this time, let me focus directly on my team, the people that's coming through the property, right? That's your conversation with your seller, with your buyers, you let them know up front, hey, the seller is going to be present, I'm going to be present, or one of my team members are going to be present. If you have any questions, 
make sure you wait until after the walkthrough and I'll answer all of the questions outside or we can have a phone call immediately afterwards and I'll answer all of your questions. That way you don't have that sticky conversation where the buyer is asking the seller questions or asking you questions while the seller is present. And then the seller is like, hmm, what is going on here? You know, why are they asking about the price and everything like that if you're supposed to be the one that's buying the property? Okay. But disclosure is always most important up front. All right. Next question. How do I explain to the seller when I have many buyers coming through the property? Again, I kind of just touched on that. You just want to be transparent and let your seller know up front, hey, I work with you know contractors, lenders, business partners, joint venture partners that's going to be helping me take down this transaction or close this deal. They're going to be giving me renovation funds or part of the acquisition funds and they want to walk through and see the property because they're partnering with me on a deal, right? Clean, simple, transparent, upfront, all right? How do I explain to the seller, just went over that one. Next, how do I know when my buyer sent in the earnest money deposit? Okay, so you want your buyers to make sure they send in earnest money deposit. When they say, because you're, you have a smoking hot deal, you know, the property is worth, $425,000, you're giving it to somebody selling it for $300,000 because they need a lot of repairs and everything like that. So the property automatically has a baked in equity of $125,000. They're getting a great deal. Because they're getting a great deal, you inform that buyer that, hey, this is a fast transaction, seven day close, there's no inspection period, and your earnest money goes hard immediately once you submit that earnest money to the title company. So earnest money, you know, can be 5,000, can be 10,000, can be $20,000. It all depends on what you negotiate directly with your, with your buyer, okay? Um, next question. So I'm just answering questions for those of you that are on Instagram, on Facebook and on uh, YouTube. Next question. I heard hard money lenders. Oh, what if the buyer is using a hard money loan? What do I have to confirm with the hard money lender? Okay. This is very, very important because you have a lot of, lot of buyers that use hard money lenders, right? It's not traditional financing where they have to go to Bank of America or something like that and get a loan and, and submit their W-2s and social security numbers and everything like that. However, hard money lender is lending money to the buyer to purchase this transaction. And there's some due diligence that they need to do in order to you know, fund the transaction. Yes, hard money lenders do close quickly, but each hard money lender requires different things when they're funds to a buyer. Um, one situation that I ran into was a hard money lender didn't want to lend to an LLC that wasn't registered in the state that the transaction was occurring. Okay. First time I ever came across that, it was sticky. We had to hurry up and get it done. And one thing that saved the transaction is because the buyer that I was working with had done quite a few deals with them and we were able to accommodate him 
in that event. And I talked to the seller and the seller was fine with it. And they said, hey, you know what? As long as we're going to get the deal done, I don't matter if it takes an additional week or two weeks in order to get it done. Okay. Next question. I heard hard money lenders are not willing to pay assignment fees if it's too much. Is this true? Yes, that is something that is occurring now. So hard money lenders are requesting the original contract between the wholesaler and the seller. And what they're doing is if that assignment agreement is a certain percentage of the value of the property that they're lending on or the money the, the money that they're lending on, they won't do the transaction because they, they say that the majority of the funds is going to the wholesaler and not to the transaction. So you definitely need to be aware of that and you need, need to make sure that you're not working with a hard money lender that have that kind of stipulation in place. Uh, this happened to me. Again, I always speak from experience uh, this happened to me in a transaction about a year and a half ago. And luckily, we were under that threshold of what our assignment agreed, our assignment fee was going to be. So they were able to, we were able to still close that transaction. Okay. Uh, so yes, this is true. Some hard money lenders are instituting that policy, you know, in their companies and their lending practices. If this is true, right, how do I get around it? So if you're doing a deal and the hard money lender says, hey, I want, I want to see the transaction because we're lending on it. And let's just say your fee, assignment fee is very, very excessive. How do you get around that? That's a great question. And I don't have the answer because I never had to go through that. But one thing I would say is if you're working with an attorney, probably have your attorney to do everything or what you can do is do a A to B, B to C transaction and double close. So you can say, all right, the hard, the B to C transaction will close first. Those funds will then fund the A to B transaction. So that's the double close. I'm not gonna go into the nuances of a double close. If you want more information about a double close, I got another video here, right here that goes over double closes. Okay. My buyer says he needs to see the contract with the seller. Should I send this to him? No, don't send your original contract to the buyer. If you're doing an assignment, I mean, if you're doing a double close, if you're doing an assignment agreement, all of the numbers are going to be in the assignment. You can let him know, Hey, everything is transparent. All of the numbers are in the assignment agreement. So you can see it there. And you can, if, if, you already have that assignment agreement between you and the buyer and you have their earnest money in escrow, that's hard, then you can go ahead and send them that original purchase contract because they have money on the line and nine times out of 10, and they're not going to try and not go through with the transaction. All right. How do I know when I need an attorney or a title company? It all depends on the state, right? I do transactions in Illinois, Illinois is a attorney state. So I have to hire an attorney because the attorney does all of the title work and the title company, only thing they do is basically facilitate the transaction. So, but in Arizona, you don't need an attorney. The title company will handle 
all of the nuances of the transaction. So you need to know what jurisdiction you're in and what they allow, and if it's an attorney state or if it's uh, a non-attorney state, okay? How do I find a quality real estate attorney? That's where networking come into play. You know, you can go to places like RIA. We have a great RIA here in Arizona, which is ASRIA, Arizona Real Estate Investors Association. Network with other real estate investors, wholesalers, and let them know, hey, I'm looking for a great attorney. I got this transaction I'm trying to get done, or I'm just getting started and I need an attorney. Who do you recommend? Right. And that's the same thing uh, when it comes to a title company. Hey, I'm a newer wholesaler. I'm looking for a title company that can do assignment agreements, double closes, you know, triple closes, things like that, because not all of these will do these multiple closes or these creative transactions. Okay. Uh, let's see. How do I wholesale a property that have an IRS lien on it? You can wholesale any property that has a lien on it. If it's IRS, if it's city, state, if it's municipal, any kind of lien, contractor's lien, mortgage lien, you can, you can wholesale any property with a lien as long as the lien amount does not surpass the amount that you're offering the seller. So what do I mean by that? Let's just say the seller has an IRS lien for $50,000 you're buying a property for $300,000, that $50,000 will be taken out of their proceeds and go directly to the IRS to pay off that lien. But that seller has to have enough equity in the property to pay off that $50,000 that $50, lien. If they don't have enough equity to pay off that $50,000 lien, then a couple of things that can happen, you can try and negotiate the lien down further so it can meet that threshold um, or you won't be able to close that transaction or you can ask the seller, hey, you probably need to bring money to the table in order to close this deal out. Um, so those are some solutions. So as a real estate wholesaler and investor, you need to be able to solve problems. A lot of your sellers are going to have problems and issues. That's why they're trying to um, sell the property cash quick without a real estate um, agent and everything like that, because there's some kind of hairy situation that's going on. One of the things my attorney always tell me is, Marcus, Marcus, if the deal was easy and there wasn't any hair on the deal, someone else would have already done it, which is absolutely true. So he always calm me down and bring me back, right? Because when we're dealing with these sellers, you run into liens, you run into uh, pre-foreclosures, you run into, you know, other siblings on a property, probates. Nobody knows who has the control of the title, everything like that. So we run into a lot of situations and that's, that's what our responsibility is. And the bigger the situation, trust me, the more money that you make off of that transaction. All right. And the more help you provide to yourself. How do I know when I need to file a memorandum against a property? Okay, so this is kind of, this question is kind of, kind of different. Okay, so a memorandum is basically like a lien. So I'm talking with the seller, me and Mr. Bob, Mr. Bob agreed to my $300,000 price. 
somebody called Mr. Bob and say, hey, Bob, I know you got this property. I'll buy it for $320,000. Mr. Bob failed to uh, notify the other buyer and say, nope, I'm already under contract with Marcus for $300,000. Um, I can't sell it to you for $320,000. As much as he want that extra $20,000, he's in a legally binding contract and a legally binding agreement. So with that being said, um, some sellers may get squirrely and they may try and take that other $20,000. So when you start hearing conversations where after you've signed a contract, he signed a contract with Mr. Bob and he start hearing things like, well, I don't know if I want to go through with this transaction. I had somebody offer me more money um, or can you increase your your amount because I think I'm not getting enough money, you know, on this deal. Or I talked to a realtor and they said, you know, you sell it for too low, go and file that memorandum. How do you file a mem memorandum? Memorandum is simply an agreement or it's a document that states, you know, me and Mr. Bob entered into a legally binding contract, which is reference A, you will have that contract submitted. Um, for purchase price of $300,000. Um, and then you file that with, in different counties is different. You can file it with the county, um, county clerk's office, uh, county records. And then what happens is if Mr. Bob tries to go and accept that offer for $320,000, because if he decides to do that, you won't hear from him. Once you tell him, no, I can't increase my price, he'll go dark. You won't hear from him. Um, he'll try and close that transaction with somebody else. And what happens is when the title company or the attorney goes to do the title work, that memorandum will pop up and then they won't be able to close that transaction without satisfying everything with you. Okay. So we had a transaction where we, well, I had a couple of transactions where that happened. I had to file a memorandum one uh, on the first memorandum seller you know, said, hey, okay, you know what? I'm just going to stick with you. Let's get the deal done. And that's it. The other individual, we had to file a memorandum and she went with the other offer, but they had to pay us out a considerable lump sum in order to get that deal done. So basically paid us for damages. She made more money, but in essence, she didn't because she had to pay us, you know, a, help, a hefty, hefty fee we're trying to be sneaky and trying to uh, be corrupt in that situation. All right. Where can I get an assignment agreement? Easy. Go to MarcusEMaloney.com. Um, and we have a, I have an assignment agreement there that you can automatically download. And also I have a link in the description of this YouTube video where you can download, download that assignment agreement. Same thing with the purchase contract. Where do I get a purchase contract? I have that offer free for you. Go to marcusemaloney.com. Right uh, about halfway down the page, you will see, give it to me, free uh, purchase contract. You can get there, right? Um, where can I get a memorandum of agreement? You can have an attorney draw that up. Our students, me and my partner students, we offer that memorandum of agreement that we use directly to them. So, the cost of an attorney drafting you up a memorandum of agreement, you know, can anywhere can be anywhere from five hundred dollars to fifteen hundred dollars. 
you know, being a member of the DFC is less than the cost of that attorney drafting that memorandum of agreement. And we give you contract, memorandum of agreement, uh, assignment agreement, all the letters, docs that we use, everything that we use, you can use in your market. But I always say, just have an attorney look over it because I've never done deals in Alaska. So if you want to do a deal in Alaska, I'm not sure if my forms will translate, you know, with Alaskan law. All right. So full disclosure, make sure you contact your attorney. Can I wholesale if I'm a licensed real estate agent? This is a great question. I get this question quite often because I'm a real estate agent. So they want to know, Marcus, how do you wholesale and you're a realtor? Don't you have a fiduciary responsibility to your seller? Do you, don't you have a fiduciary responsibility to your buyer? Absolutely, when I'm representing them. But in the wholesale transaction, I'm not representing them. I'm representing my LLC or I'm representing myself. So all brokerages won't allow you to do this. You really need to find you know, niche-specific brokers that work with real estate investors, and they'll be able to lead you and guide you and help you in the right direction. So, you know, if you're an agent with, you know, some of the bigger brokerages, Remax, I know Keller Williams will allow you to, um, Century 21, some of those, some of those big, big, big box brokers won't allow you to uh, wholesale. But still, even if you're working with a smaller broker, disclose, disclose, disclose. You always want to let everybody know exactly what you're doing in a transaction. So with your seller, you want to let them know, hey, I may be buying this property or I may be having a partner to come in, partner with me to buy this property. Which buyer, you letting your buyer know, I'm not representing you in this transaction. You are unrepresented. The seller, you are unrepresented. I'm representing my LLC in this transaction, okay? How do I find an investor from the title company? We had talked about earlier a few seconds ago that not all title companies will allow you to do creative stuff, assignments, double close, triple closes, things like that. You need to, again, talk with some of the real estate investors that are in communities, ask them, some of the real estate investors that's doing transactions, ask them, hey, where can I find a, a friendly, investor-friendly title company? All right. Okay. So Marcus Maloney, again, I'm just answering questions. If you're trying to get started in real estate, how do I pay my taxes once I close a deal? So first of all, I'm not a CPA. Check with your CPA. But what you want to do is um, the title company or the attorney will send you a 1099, right? So they'll let you know, hey, you made $10,000 on this transaction. We're going to file this 1099 with our W-9 with the IRS, letting them know that we paid you $10,000. Just hold that money to the side, right? Don't go on a carnival cruise to the Caribbean and spend it all up. You know, you want to at least put 30% to the side. So $10,000, put $3,000 to the side so you can pay taxes because you don't want to wait till the end of the year and then you get a large tax bill and they say, hey, Marcus, you made X amount of dollars this year. Congratulations. You owe us $25,000 in taxes. And then you're like, mm -hmm. 
I don't have that kind of money because you didn't spend it all, you know, buying fresh gear, going on trips and everything like that. Okay. How do I know how much taxes to pay again to your CPA? But I always say, just put, just set 30% to the side. Okay. If it's less, great. You can save some money. But if you set less aside, then you have to bring money to the table to pay. All right. Is there a difference from wholesaling houses versus wholesaling condos or townhouses? There's no difference, but there's things that you need to be aware of when you're doing wholesaling in condos and townhouses, right? So you have HOAs. You need to make sure that you read the HOAs about that condo or that townhouse, all right? You want to make sure that you're clearly abreast of everything that's going on with that HOA or uh, that HOA, okay? So with a single family that's not in the HOA district, you're fine, go ahead, you know, do what you do, have fun, love it. But when it comes to townhouses and condos, you know, you just want to make sure you could do the same thing, but you want to make sure you get those CCNRs. So those are... Um, CCNRs are just the rules and the bylaws, what the HOA permits and allows in that condo that's a part of that condo association, okay? What should I look for when doing an initial walkthrough on a property? All right, so one of the things that we always tell people, first, we do a virtual walkthrough. So what we do is we have our sellers get on the phone and we say, okay, I'm in front of your house. We're on the phone. I'm in front of your house. Tell me exactly what I'm looking at. So say, I'm on the sidewalk. I'm looking forward. I see your front door. What am I looking at? How's the roof? Well, the roof is about, you know, it's in good condition. It's about 10 years old. All right, walking through the front door, I'm looking to my right and to my left. What am I looking at? So you're doing a virtual walkthrough, right? And they, most, most sellers will be transparent and they'll let you know, Hey, all right, I'm in the kitchen. Am I looking at granite countertops? Am I looking at, um, you know, for micro countertops? Am I looking at, you know, stainless steel appliances? You know, am I looking at quartz counters? What am I looking at? And they'll walk you all the way through. And they'll say, well, counters are dated. The property needs renovations, yada, yada, yada. All right, perfect. Thank you for being transparent. Thank you for being honest. I let's schedule a time where I can come by and I can walk the property. And then what you want to do is you want to verify everything that you and the seller talked about on the phone. So what are you looking for, right? You're looking for age of the roof. You know, is the roof in really, really bad condition? You want to look at the windows. You know, are there vinyl windows or are they still old windows? Are they single pane windows? Are they dual pane windows? When you walk in, condition of the flooring, what is the flooring? Is it tile? Is it carpet? Is it laminate? The walls, is the walls drywall, drywall, is it plaque? And then you want to look at the age of the furnaces, all of the, all of the, all of the HVAC, you know, furnaces, AC unit, water heater, you know, what's the age and the condition of those? Because you don't want to have to repair or replace those. But if it's needed, you want to make sure you put that in your rehab, rehab budget for your fix and flipper if you're not going to fix and flip it yourself right? What else are you looking for? You know, in the Midwest or in those colder states, you definitely want to have a garage, you know, off street parking, things like that. So those are just 
some of the things that you want to look for. You want to look, one thing that I always tell that we always do is look up under the kitchen sink and the bathroom seats to see if there's any leaks. So those leaks can then, you know, create mold, dry rot. And also you want to look and see if those pipes are uh, copper pipes or if they're cast iron pipes, things like that. So certain things you want to look at. All right. How do I estimate repairs on damage to an in-ground pool? Wow. Okay, very, very specific. And that's common here in Arizona. You have, you know, different kind of pools. You have plaster pools, pebble tech pools, pebble sheen pools, and, and that's basically a coating. You want to look for any cracks, rust spots, or anything like that in the pool. You want to look at the pool liner, if it's a liner. How to estimate repairs? Uh, one of the things is just always, you know, if you can have somebody to come out, take a look at the pool, or just try and guesstimate. I mean, I really don't have a scientific answer for that, but nine times out of 10, there's pools rep pool repairs and major pool repairs. You're looking at, you know, $20,000, $30,000 and up, you know, so you basically want to make sure you hedge, hedge for that. So, Sorry, don't have an exact number for that. I'm not a pool contractor. But we have done pools that have been completely nasty and they do cost a lot of money to redo. How do I estimate repairs on completely fire-damaged house? Man, I kind of got lucky when I did a fire-damaged house. It was completely, it was a block house. Uh, it was completely burnt uh, one of the things that you want to look for that's most important is, is the slab, the concrete slab, the concrete foundation, is it cracked? If it's cracked, then a whole new slab will need to be poured in order to um, make sure that foundation is solid and to pass any uh, city inspections. If that slab is cracked, guess what? You got to redo it, got to redo it all. So in order to do a complete fire damage house, you want to look at what's the price per square foot, you know, to do a complete gut rehab from top to bottom. You know, so is that $100 a square foot? Is it $75 a square foot? Is it $300 a square foot? Uh, that is definitely market specific. And you need to make sure you talk to some contractors in your market to say, hey, I want to build a house. How much is it, you know, to build a house per square foot? All right. So that's how you find out, you know, how to estimate that rehab cost for a completely fire, fire damaged house. And wrapping up here, right? We we're I'm at question 104. And I had 106. So I may have time for a few extras. Uh, what skills do I need to be a successful wholesaler or an investor? Right. So I kind of I got started with wholesaling. I did some had some rentals before with the family and I, I really cut my teeth on that doing repairs around there my, again my mom she bought two ancient houses back in the late 80s and me and my brother had to work with the contractors to do a lot of the repairs there so that's how I really learned about fixing and flipping because she was doing it before you know all of this stuff became popular on HGTV so some of the skills that you need to have Number one, the most important is to have um, people skills. You need to be able to talk with contractors 
talk with city officials, talk with other investors. Um, so you need to have need to be a people person, kind of personable, right? You want to be able to have great dialogue. Another uh, skill that you need to have is you need to problem solve. You know, if a problem arises, what do you need to do in order to solve that problem? Because when you're working with these properties and these sellers, you never know what the issues are. But once you find out those issues, now, okay, what do I need to do? What research I need to do in order to go and solve this problem? And like I said before, the person who solves the biggest problems, you know, are rewarded with the largest checks and the largest thank yous from the sellers because they have no idea which way to go in order to sell this house, okay? Another skill that you need to have as a successful investor, you need to be able to run your numbers. And as long as you know addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division, you will definitely be able to be successful. So don't think you need to know calculus or algebra or anything like that in order to be a successful real estate investor. You need to know your comps, your comparables, and you need to know the market. How do you find that information out? You know, you can get with your local REAR, Real Estate Investors Association, to get information about what's going on in your market. On a national level, right, you can look at CNBC. They may be a little bit behind. Diana Olick is, is a great, great person and a great listen when it comes to get information on a national level regarding what's happening in the market. And just read, research, talk with a realtor. You know, realtors know what's going on in the market, what properties they're selling. So some of the things you want to know is, you know, um, what's the average days on market? How long properties that are fixed and flip or properties that go on the market? How long are they sitting on the market? You know, what is, you know, the average sale price for a property, you know, in this area? Is it 300000 Is it 200000 What's the price per square foot, you know, that properties are being rehabbed for on a full gut rehab, medium rehab, or a light rehab? So it's just really market specific and a lot of things that you, you need to know in order to be a great real estate investor. And guess what? All of the information is out there. There's tons of people just like myself that are online that are telling you, you know, what's going on in the market. But again, you want to make sure that you making sure you get information from quality people, not just some guy that just started last week. Next question. How do I skip trace and what do I use? So you can go to my website. I have plenty of resources there to teach you how to skip trace, but you can use listsource.com. I mean, not to skip trace, that's to find leads, listsource.com. But to skip trace, you can use what I use, batch skip tracing, uh, batchskiptracing.com. And what is skip tracing? Skip tracing is you see an abandoned house or a raggedy house, you don't know who the owner is, write down that address, you can go back to batch skip tracing, put that address in there, and it'll pull up all of the information. It's a small cost, you know, 12, 15, 20 cents per skip. If you're doing one-offs, if you're doing batch, you know, multiple skip traces at one time, it's a lot more affordable. But 20 cents, find out who the seller is or who the owner is, how long they own the property. Uh, well, first you can get there, who the seller is, who the owner is, get their address, 
not only of the subject property, but the mailing address of the property. Um, you can get the, that's why you drawing a blank. You can get, you can get the address, the owner, you can get the telephone number, email address, and you can get information of, you know, possibly the neighbors or next of kin. That way you can always pick up the phone and call them and say, hey, I see you on the property at, you know, 256 Saguaro Drive. Are you interested in selling that property? Because I noticed I live in an area and it's weeds growing up. It's an abandoned car. Are you possibly interested in selling that property? And then you just take it from there and have that dialogue and that, that, um, that conversation. So I'm wrapping up. Just wanted to give you guys something here. Been on for a little bit less than an hour now. or shutting down. I just wanted to answer the questions that you all were having. Frequently asked questions. So we have people here on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube Live. Again, if you want to reach out to me, you got questions about real estate, just contact me. Go to MarcusEMaloney.com. There is a 15-minute free consultation link up at the top. Then also... You're looking for a purchase contract or an assignment agreement, reach out to me. I can definitely help you out with that. Feel free to you know join me on YouTube at MRCS Maloney. Tons of free information there. Then follow me on Bigger Pockets. I've written you know nearly a hundred articles on bigger pockets for bigger pockets regarding real estate investing. Been on big show 386, which is the best show that Bigger Pockets has ever had because I have two, two podcasts, two shows, part one and part two. Also, lastly, kind of wrapping up here, um, feel free to join me anytime. All, all platforms, MRCS, Maloney. All right, thank you. Have a good night. Appreciate it. Thank you guys for being here. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. Personable, I love to help. So again, all social media platforms, MRCS Maloney, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. I'm here to help. Thanks. Thank you for listening to today's show. I picked up some great actionable items and I'm sure you did as well. If so, let me know. You can always reach me via social media at facebook.com slash MRCS Maloney, Twitter at MRCS Maloney, and of course, IG at MRCS Maloney. You can also always reach me via email at mmaloney at equityri.com. Make sure you reach out to our guest as well. You can always find their contact information in the show notes below. If you have not subscribed already, what are you waiting for? Join the family. And while you're at it, leave us a five-star review. This is how we tell if we're providing you with what you need for your journey. If there's someone you would like for me to interview, or if there's a subject matter you would like for me to cover, please let me know. Finally, if you're looking for additional information about real estate investing, go to equityrealestateblog.com, also youtube.com slash Marcus Maloney. Until next time, family, always enjoy the journey.